The message that God has put on my heart for today, if I title it, would be the personal cost of freedom. The personal cost of freedom. And I want you to know before I go any further, this kind of message, you're going to have one of two reactions because you're human. You're either going to be a little bit mad at me You're going to think I'm preaching a personal message to you or possibly picking on you. Or you will embrace this truth and you'll have some freedom you haven't had. I'm going to do my best to stick to what God has put in my heart and to try to just preach out of the fullness of my heart. He has been impressing on me so strongly uh, lately that freedom comes with a cost. And not just because it's Memorial Day weekend, although that's a good reminder. This, This weekend in the United States, we celebrate Memorial Day, which a lot of people think is all about going to the beach and having a hot dog or a hamburger. But the reason we get to do that is people laid down their lives. Whatever your socio-political views are, whatever your governmental ideas are, those men and women died because they believed in freedom. And there's a notion that is so popular in culture that um, there are free things. Milton Freeman, the famed economist, said there's no such thing as a free lunch. That's not popular. And we live in a culture of people where it's very difficult for them to comprehend the idea that everything costs something. And I'm not being critical. I'm trying to just lay a foundation of why this message will be an obstacle for many people. What I'm facing today is the same thing, although I'm much less equipped than Jesus was. It's the same thing he faced when he told the uh, Jews, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. He said, if the Son of Man makes you free, you'll be free indeed. And you read just after that, it says, from thenceforward they sought how they might kill him. It doesn't make logical sense unless you don't really want truth. And so I say that to people here in this congregation. I feel like this message could be a message of of healing and strengthening for this church. But I also say it to anybody listening to this later. There is a cost for your personal freedom. A cost you have to pay. People say, well, Jesus did everything. All you have to do is just take down off the shelf His blessing and just appropriate. People preach that today. Just appropriate God's blessings to yourself. It doesn't work that way. There's a cost for you. And what I'm going to try to preach about is the the cost, that personal cost, for you to be free. I'm talking about intellectual freedom, emotional freedom, spiritual freedom, physical freedom. I just tried to preach about the idea of spiritual captivity. And that many people, through false ideas and false notions and theological misconcepts, are in spiritual captivity. But today that that burden has extended into this idea that many of us aren't free because on a deep level that we've never unpacked, we really don't want to be. John chapter 5. This is where we'll take our text. John chapter 5, starting the first verse, and I'm actually going to read from a contemporary translation. You follow around with whatever Bible you have, but I just want to get the story down for you. John chapter 5, verse 1. After this, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind lame or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. 
When Jesus saw him and knew that he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? King James translates that, Wilt thou be whole? Do you want to be whole? This translation says, Do you want to get well? Another way it could be translated is, Do you want to be free? It's so powerful and heavy that this man is there. He's been ill. He's been at less than normal health for 38 years. And Jesus doesn't just come up like some kind of uh, supernatural humanitarian and just wave a wand and poof, you're well. He says, do you want to be well? And I want you to think about that. Now, you may not yet know what that thing inside of you is that God is trying to get out. You might not know yet. But I want you to think, if you could get rid of it, do you want to? You say, well, of course, why wouldn't I? I think you'll see why you might not want to. You might not have ever logically thought about any of this. But embedded in this story is an encapsulation of the way human nature works. And Jesus asked the man first, do you want to be well? And here's how the man answers. I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone always gets there ahead of me. Now, on the surface, it might sound like he's not interested. And sometimes in life, you have dealt with a problem, an issue, a trouble, an illness, a sickness for so long that you now recognize it's impossible for you to get over it. We see in this man's statement what it takes for you to have personal freedom. It takes a realization that it's not possible of your own effort. He has been in this condition 38 years, and day after day or week after week, he goes there, and and maybe somebody takes him there. Maybe he lives there. I'm not sure. But he has a mat that he's lying on, and he can't get to the pool. See, the way this worked, when the pool stirred, an angel of the Lord came down, stirred the water, and the first person to get in would be healed. Interesting. Interesting. And he says, I can't get well because I can't get to the water. He's not saying, I don't believe I can ever be healed. He's still there trying. He hasn't given up, but he's given up all hope of self-reliance. Do you see the difference? And we see here, in perfect parallel, what happens when God saves a person. Your will is completely submissive to Him. You say, I can't get well. And yet you are still there trying. It's the same for people once God saves you. You have to recognize that there is a cost to personal freedom and that cost is unconditional surrender. I'll explain that in a moment. But this man in his answer conveys the state of his heart. He's still there. He's still hoping that he can make it to the pool. But he knows that what he's been doing is not going to work. There are people that I come across all the time that are so... They're like this man. They've tried for so long to get rid of that thing, to feel better, to be healed, to be whole. And they now recognize that it's not possible, and they're just waiting for the real, authentic messenger of God to come along and say, you can be free. This is what Jesus did here, see? This man answers, there's none of the phony religious trappings. He doesn't accept Jesus and believe and confess that the Lord is God. Jesus doesn't lead him in a prayer. He doesn't have to do anything except answer with complete 
unveiled, naked, emotional honesty. And that's what he does. And when he does that, Jesus recognizes, because he is the word of God that pierces to that dividing place between your spirit and your flesh, he sees into this man's heart, and he knows that with all of this heart, this man wants to be healed. Jesus knows that. I cannot know that. It's easy for us as human beings to look at a person and say, uh, it would be so unfair of God to let that person go to hell. They've tried so hard. You don't know that. You can't see their heart. And Brother Steve and I were talking before service this morning about the idea of motive. It's not what you do on the outside. It is why you're doing it out of the motivation of your heart. You don't know why those people are doing those things over and over and over. It could be for pride. It could be for vanity. It could be for self-elevation. This man is in the most broken place he could be in. He's lying down paralyzed or some type of illness on a mat. And he recognizes he does not have the the capacity, the strength, or the ability to heal himself. Now, without any of the religious conventions that our culture has bolstered itself up on, Jesus says, the man says, I can't, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up, someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus says, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly the man was healed. That should be completely amazing to us. It's not. Because we're raised in a culture of skepticism, contrarianism. We want everything to be proven. Well, this is what Jesus was doing. Now, we're not there watching it like this man was, but Jesus was proving who he was. Now, the man at this time, this is what I want you to realize, he didn't know who Jesus was. No idea. And when I read that, let me finish reading this to you. Instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. Remember what I said about motivation? What was their motivation for objecting to a man being healed on the Sabbath? Oh, sure, it was based somewhere vaguely in the law of Moses, but they completely got the wrong motivation. They said to the man who was cured, You can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, The man who healed me told me, Pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man did not know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. Scripture teaches us plainly, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. You don't have to understand God for God to help you. In fact, your intellectual understanding of God will be an obstacle to Him freeing you. He didn't even know who Jesus was. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you're well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who healed him. Now obviously they had a more of a conversation than that and Jesus told him who he was. I don't know for sure when God healed, when Jesus healed this man physically, if he saved his spiritual state in that moment, or if it happened when he went to visit him in the temple. I don't know. But what we do know is God rescued this man. He gave him freedom, and he gave him spiritual freedom, because next thing we see, the man's in the temple. He's trying to do the right thing. He spent his whole life where he can't ambulate on his own. He can't get to the temple on his own. And the first thing he wants to do is go and seek out God. Whether Jesus saved him in that moment or when he met him the second time, I don't think it really matters. 
And we can debate about that. But when God does something for you and He gives you some freedom, whether you understand it or not, it begins a search to understand how that happened. Amen. There's a lot of super fundamental legalistic teaching that says things like, well, you can't ever be saved unless you hear a God-called preacher preach from a certain translation of the Bible. Jesus didn't preach to him at all when he healed him. He didn't even tell him who he was. And he healed him. Because the man was willing. Because he had completely resigned his will. He said, I want it, but I can't do it on my own. It's what it takes to have freedom. Now Jesus tells him, you're well now, so stop sinning. In other words, now what sin did the man ever do? What can you do when you're confined to a bed mat? You're still a sinner. You can still have pride. You can still have anger. You can still have bitter. You think he was bitter at God? Maybe. Think he was frustrated? God, why have I been in this condition all my life? Look what God used it for. He was waiting 38 years to be delivered, used as an example of the healing power of Jesus Christ, and this was a sign that Jesus used to show the people to confirm who He was. Amen. How many people were saved because of that man? You think that gave Him some perspective on His personal suffering? There's a reason Jesus said, go and sin no more. Don't wallow in your own misery. Don't be bitter anymore. Don't be mad anymore. Let go of what happened to you and go and live. Amen. Let me take a step to the side from this story and, and talk to you um, maybe philosophically a little bit for a minute. All human beings share common and internally conflicting motivations. I'm talking about inside of my own self. There are always competing motivational forces that make me do what I do. They're based on my experiences. They're based on my beliefs. They're based on my conception of who God is. They're based on what has happened to me. We look at the world, I, I wrote this one time in a college admission essay to a, a counseling program. I said, we all see the world through our own uniquely colored lenses. It's true. When I put on my glasses, I, I can't tell who any of those people are when I take my glasses off. I put them on, I can suddenly see. It's completely different. Would you let God change your glasses if he wanted to? Or give you some glasses? Take off your dark gray sunglasses and give you some clear lenses to let you see the brightness of the world. Do you want that? These are competing motivational forces. Depending on who you talk to, what expert, what guru, they might break it down into four or five or six. You might see something like Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of human needs or whatever. I don't want to get into psychology or pop psychology. I want to base this in Scripture. And so there are at least three competing psychological, emotional, spiritual motivating forces inside of every human being. And I'm going to show it to you with Scripture. We all have a need for security or safety or predictability or familiarity or sameness. Inside of that category is the certainty that things are going to be the way they are. If you look at Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, where it says the, Holy, the Spirit of God led him to the wilderness, that he might be tempted of the devil, for he went out there 40 days, didn't need it, and at the end of that, the, the adversary of the devil came and tempted him. And the first temptation he gave him was appealing to his human need for security. He said, make bread from these stones. If you have a high motivation for security, you will abandon all other logical things to feel safe. Yeah. I'm not necessarily talking about spiritual or physical safety. I'm talking about the predictability of things being the same. 
There's another motivating force that you could call variety or adventure. Um, And Satan again tempted Jesus with this appeal to his human nature. He took him up on top of this tall place in the city and said, if you're really the Son of God, throw yourself off of here and God will save you. For it's written, He's given His angels charge over you. You won't dash your foot on the ground, on the stone. For people who have a big motivation to have variety, uncertainty, danger. I mean, people in this category, you might be adrenaline junkies or or people who can't relax. (laughs) We want... I say we, I gave away the one that I'm this big for me. There's an adventure in uncertainty. There's an adventure in change. One of my coworkers told me, you know what? You're not as happy if you don't have some big problem to solve and worry about. She's like, that's why you're complaining about work lately. There's you don't you're not worried about going to jail. I was worried about going I got a letter in the mail a while back that I might I could get arrested for a codes violation I had. And I looked up the Tennessee statute and they could put you in jail for 30 days. So I had that threat. There's always all these big, like, important things and they're all gone. And when all that stuff was gone, I was completely miserable. I hated my job. <laughs> so there's, there's one of my big needs, variety. I don't know if you're wired that way or not, but we all have both of those. The last one that we see in the temptation of Jesus is, and you could define this how you want, but it's the need for significance. It's the need to feel like you're doing something that matters. If you remember the millennial sermon I preached, it's the need to make an impact. And Jesus was tempted in this way when Satan took him up to a mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of those kingdoms and said, you can have all that. Now, it's easy for us to brush away this whole temptation of Jesus as if he wasn't human and say, he's God. But he was in all points tempted like we are and yet without sin. And he, at the weakest physical point, probably in his life, was tempted with these deep-seated... I mean, it's, it's underneath the foundation of logic, these motivations. You may not be aware of your need for security or variety or significance, but it's there, deep, deep underneath. So when Jesus asked the man... Do you want to be whole? That man internally, subconsciously had to confront his reliance on these different human needs and decide if it was worth it. And this is the cost of personal freedom. You can be free, but it requires you letting go of something that you think is safe. Let me give you a couple negative examples of this safety or security idea. Have you ever met a chronic complainer? Makes them feel comfortable. I heard somebody say one time, you're not comfortable unless you're complaining. How can you help a chronic complainer? Have you met a a malingerer? That's somebody who who thinks everything's worse than it is and they even invent problems inside of their own bodies. It's not conscious, it's not intentional, but they do it because of this great need for familiarity. You ever met a catastrophizer? I learned that word in in that graduate program. I I love it. I, I, I think about it all the time now. This is the person who is on the way to work and they run into a traffic jam and they get there and they tell how terrible it is. And the person says, oh yeah, you think your morning was bad? Listen to what happened to me. Everything's a catastrophe. Why? I'll answer that in a moment. If somebody's in this category, I ran into this a long time or, or recently with, with a buddy of mine at work, and um, she said, how come you don't give me pep talks anymore? And I said, I finally realized that when you're complaining, it just makes you feel worse if I give you a solution. All you want is company and misery. <laughs> And so she would tell me, and I would, you know, everything's so hard, it's so bad, they don't care. And I said, yeah, you're right, it's terrible. And then she felt better. Did she have freedom? No. 
the truth is what makes you free. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. But sometimes a person is not in a condition to be willing to receive the truth in a way that will help them. And in that situation, and this is where we as church members and members of a body have to recognize through God's help and prayerfully what state our brother or sister is in. Sometimes it doesn't help somebody to throw a bunch of solutions at them. Sometimes they just need to be pat on the back and say, I love you. I love you. That's, oh, that's a hard lesson for me to learn. When a person's been dealing with an ongoing issue for so long, let me, let me use myself as an example. I, I don't like doing that, but I think that's just because of pride, so I'll get over my pride and do it. And it may give you a parallel to relate to whatever the thing is in your own life. Sometimes a person that's been dealing with that issue for so long, that issue can begin to define their whole life. And the only way they can feel safe deep down inside is for that issue to continue. Now, you might not like the word safe, but it's familiarity. It's, I know how I'm going to feel. I don't have to be threatened with uncertainty. This might be chronic illness. It might be weight you can't lose. It might be ongoing financial challenges. It might be some kind of persecution syndrome. I've seen people compare themselves to a prophet in scriptures and then self-perpetuate a life of misery because they believe that it is God's will for them to endure that kind of suffering. And when you strip away all this stuff, if Jesus came to a person who's in that condition and said, do you want to be healed? And they were honest, they would say no. See, because when God heals you of something, whether, like I said, it's, it's a chronic financial problem, it's weight, it's like I've had chronic illness for a lot of my life. I'm feeling better lately, thank God. And you know what a lot of it is because of an uh, emotional cleansing, a release, a recognizing. Here's what I wanted to explain to you, and this might relate. Maybe some of you are dealing with bitterness you can't let go of. Maybe unforgiveness. I dealt with that for a while. You know, when a family member or somebody betrays you or somebody that's supposed to love you and have your back, it takes a while to get past it. Do you want to? Could be hopelessness. Could be depression, could be despair. You think this man on the mat, he probably had a lot of despair. He probably legitimately felt sorry for himself. And that was predictable. What would life be like? See, every day he didn't, he had his problems, but he could sit there and say, Well, I don't have to worry about being an adulterer. I don't have to worry about being a drunk. I can't even go get any liquor. I don't have to... All these sins he wasn't confronted with because of this thorn in his flesh. Sometimes without even realizing it, we as God's people glorify a self-invented thorn in the flesh and we think that's the only thing God can use to make us close to Him. Have you ever thought about it like that? Some of you know this, some don't. So I'll just tell my my parallel, my perspective, my experience of realizing some of this. When I was 17, I almost died, unexplainably. Nobody knew why. Went to doctor after doctor. Yeah, something's wrong with you. We don't know what it is. Cardiologists, like eight or ten of of them. Finally, they said, why don't you go see a therapist? It's not normal for an 18-year-old to have all these problems. And so for years, I, I would have this chronic illness, be stuck in bed for weeks at a time, all this kind of stuff. Later they found out doctors think that Lyme disease called it, caused it. And um, I'm 32 now, and so almost half my life I've dealt with that off and on. And I've only lately begun to realize that it is tied in to my human need for security, for safety, for predictability. I have said maybe to people out loud, but in my own thoughts, if I had never gone through that, I don't know what kind of man I would be today. That's true. It's true. God has used that obstacle, that difficulty, that 
constant crushing of my pride, the inability to uh, do anything of my own strength at times. Do you know what it feels like for your whole life since you're 17, every time you decide to get in shape, that you have a setback? I, I don't have the luxury of having a whole lot of pride about that. I mean, it's broken. And without realizing it, this is what I'm getting at, and I'm taking the time on it because you need to understand this intellectually so you can recognize if you're doing this inside. I started to realize just recently, through God's help, that I'm afraid of what kind of man I would be if I was 100% healthy. It's not a conscious fear. But that is the thing, that thorn in the flesh that God has used to keep me in a state that He can use me. And I thought, what would I do? Would I abandon my job and go start a lawn landscaping company and work 100 hours a week? I've always believed that's what I would do. But that's not giving God very much credit. Don't you think He can reach inside of us with the Holy Spirit and lead us without having to use some obstacle? And so you know what I realized until lately? I wouldn't have let go of it. Because it's predictable. Because I know how to deal with that. I know what it feels like to be weak and broken and powerless and throw myself on God's mercy. Some people, that's my, that's my thing. Some people, maybe, maybe like I said, maybe it's ongoing financial problems. And you say things like, well, everything happens for a reason. All things work together for good to them that love God. And you know, This is my thorn in the flesh. By the way, that was Paul telling about his own experience. It's not an axiomatic truth of Scripture that God gives everybody a thorn in the flesh that He's not going to relieve. It's not your job to suffer. It's your job to serve God. So, if, if somebody could come to you and identify what you're struggling with, whatever that thing is inside... I'll give you one more example maybe the women will relate to. I've known some women who realized that beneath a conscious level, deep down inside, they were afraid to lose weight because it was safe to be overweight because it would protect them from men that they didn't want to bother with. It's not silly. It's not silly. That's so deep down inside that is appealing to your need for safety. Because variety is scary. Adventure is scary. Uncertainty is scary. Maybe, if you're wired that way. But we all have those things. So if somebody could come to you and identify whatever that thing is you won't let go of, make it disappear instantly. Now here's the catch. And this is the cost of personal freedom. For it to be taken away, you lose all of it. Even the memory of it. And now let's take, some, take somebody who wronged you. Take uh, bitterness or unforgiveness, for example. And every day that you delight yourself in remembering what those people did to you and how wrong it was. I went through that for a couple years. Stomach in a knot all the time. Frustrated. Angry. And you know what? It was predictable. And every day I got to be mad. Every day I got to be hurt. And it was, I was indignant in my own righteous suffering. Until I realized I wasn't free. It was bondage. So here's the catch. This is, this is the cost of this personal freedom I'm talking about. You have to let go of all of that. Amen. You don't get to be mad anymore if you want to be free. You don't get to think about what those people... It's over. Take back to, to my health. If God chooses to completely heal me, I don't get to use chronic illness as a crutch for spiritual growth anymore. I've got to find another way. You understand? Some of you are using bitterness as a crutch for what you think is spiritual growth. Some of you are using unforgiveness as a crutch. So whatever it is. Jesus comes to the man and says, do you want to be whole? Or do you want to be the same? There's an advantage to things perpetuating. The cost of freedom is unconditional surrender whether you're trying to find spiritual freedom or whether you're trying to find ongoing freedom in life. It is completely yielding. Everything you want, everything that you're used to, all the predictability about your life, everything you think you understand, everything you think you figured out, all of your perceived security and familiarity, yielding all of it to God. 
That's the cost of personal freedom. And being 100% willing for Him to do with it whatever He wants. When I give it to you, Lord, I may never get it back again. Why is that so scary? Because you lose control. But let me tell you the truth. The truth that will make you free, you never had control anyway. Unconditional surrender means allowing your own self-will to be crucified. Along with your self-reliance and all things of the self. It is in your heart saying, Lord, your will. And we don't have a lot of words about this man's experience, but that's what happened on the inside of him. I've tried everything, I give up, but I'm still willing. I'm willing not to... Guess what? He didn't get to do it his own way. Amen. The pool didn't help him. What he tried his whole life didn't work. And I found that out when God was dealing with me and trying to save my soul, that for me to finally come to the place of unconditional surrender, I couldn't do it the way I had been trying. I had to get away from the pool and go completely and wholly to Jesus Christ. God is big enough, He's powerful enough, He's strong enough, He's merciful enough to help you completely, sustainably, permanently, without any of these crutches or thorns in the flesh that you're leaning on. You don't need them. Jesus is big enough. Now, I need to hear this message. I'm glad I'm getting to hear this message. Glad I got to think about it this week. I don't know if some of you need it as much as I do. If you do, I hope it frees you and helps you. Have you lost hope? Do you believe it's still possible to get rid of that thing, whatever it is? This man hadn't lost hope. He just recognized that the pattern of what he was doing wasn't possible. That that, that wouldn't do it. But he was still there. <laughs> he still had hope. This unconditional surrender. Paul, Paul said it like this. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That's the ongoing, unconditional surrender, the cost of personal freedom. Now I've noticed, I've been talking about surrender for as long as I've been preaching, and I learned it from, from Brother Hackett, and religious people are always uncomfortable with that terminology. Yep. And, and even if they want to know the truth, I've noticed it confuses them. Yeah. What are you talking about surrender? Yeah. Surrender is giving up. Yeah. And I say, yes, yeah. it is. But they've been taught their whole life by all religious leaders that the way you obtain the blessing of God is to do something. Yeah. Just believe. Say this prayer, do this thing, be this way, do these activities, be righteous. Are you willing to be crucified with Christ? All of the desires of the flesh with the affections and the lusts. And we're not talking about uh, cultural sins that the world identifies. I'm talking about those things deep down inside you that nobody knows about. I'm not talking about things that you think of as sin. I'm talking about your pattern of introspective behavior. We give that to God. We let Him have it. Do you want to be free? Is it worth the cost? This is something you can't probably answer to me, but I hope you'll answer to God. Do, do you want the change to happen? Do you want it gone? Do you want to get better? Do you believe it's possible? Jesus taught us, and Scripture confirms it more than once, you have not because you ask not. Faith is not convincing yourself you believe something you don't really believe. Asking God something in faith. Remember what we just preached? He'll give you the desires of your heart. What does your heart really want? And asking God for something in faith is, that, that whatever it is, that's what I want with everything in me. No doubt, no confusion, no anything. I want that. Jesus said, O ye of little faith. And when he says you have not because you ask not, this occurs to me in the context of this message. See, we don't think about what I'm talking about as a faith thing. But really, 
the lack of faith could be that you're actually unwilling to let go of that thing. And I've realized that in myself. Lord, if I do let go of this this chronic illness, this battle that I've had for half my life that has helped me understand my own limitations, what kind of man will I become? Now that might not make any sense to you all. But I had to confront it and realize that all that is is a lack of faith in what God can do. He's big enough. I'm not talking about um, what phony faith healers teach or these greedy health, wealth, and personal prosperity people. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the, the personal freedom that Jesus can give you. And it might not be visible to any of us. It might just be a subtle change on the inside. So, I'm getting near to the close. Let me just read you some of the things I wrote down. Do you believe that you've been given a thorn in the flesh, a burden to bear, a cross of personal suffering that uh, God is working in your life to make you what you should be? Do you believe that? If you do, is it an accurate view? Or is it something you need to let go of because it's in that first category of familiarity, security, and you need to let go of that and have the adventure of God, the uncertainty of God? If He came to you and said, yes, you've had that, I will take it from you, but it's your choice. And if it's gone, it's gone. What would you choose? I mentioned this earlier, but there are people that go through life, and I, uh, I see this over and over. They've been bitter for so long that bitterness is their only constant companion. And it's safe. It's predictable. It's certain. And even though it hurts, it protects that person from the fear of the unknown. But listen, this is what I really want you to get out of this message, out of this effort. There's freedom in the unknown. That's where the freedom is. Jesus said you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. That presupposes that these people are living their lives founded on something other than truth. And that they have to embrace wholly and completely something that they've never understood before. And that when they do, then they'll be free. I'm telling you to try something you've never tried. Or maybe you've tried it and you forgot what it was like. Or maybe you tried it in one area and not in another. I'm telling you to surrender completely to Jesus if you want freedom. And I'm talking to saved people as well as people who aren't saved yet. So do you want to know the truth and the truth make you free? Or do you want to keep believing what you've been believing because it's predictable? When God saves us, this is maybe one of my favorite things about life, is the freedom that He gives He gives you a freedom to love people, a freedom to relax when you need to, a freedom to forgive, a freedom to let go, a freedom to pursue your dreams and find new dreams. And we lock ourselves down emotionally, spiritually, intellectually in this little religious box of fundamentalism. That's what it is. Legalism. You have to be this certain way, but it's all about the motivation of your heart. What does your heart want? Why do you do what you do? Let me ask you, we got young people that, you know, they date each other and stuff. Next time you kiss your boyfriend, girlfriend, or whoever, can you do it to God's glory? I'm not suggesting you can't. Just say it. Have you ever thought about it like that? Have you? Have you ever kissed somebody because you loved them so much that that's all it expressed? If you've been married, I hope that you have done that. Just an example. I want to leave you with this thought. You can be free to embrace the season of life that you're in. Religion wrongly teaches us that there is a preferred season. That we should always be looking forward to this this one season that's going to come and everything in the meantime is wrong. But I'm I'm going to give you an analogy. I want you to bear with me a couple minutes. Summer's not wrong just because winter's coming later. It's not wrong, it just is. Uh, I'll use myself again, I'm single right now. I've tried not to be. It's not wrong, it just is. And some of you might disagree with that, but you don't, you don't know everything that I've tried. You don't know. Here's the problem with religious people. 
a person who lives in a season of winter looks at a person who's living in a season of summer and says, what an arrogant person going around all the time with no clothes on. They just wear shorts and t-shirts. How Don't they realize it's cold? Put on some pants, young man. What's wrong with you? Or the person who lives in a season of summer looks at the winter person and says, why are you always trying to be hoity-toity with your fancy hat? It's, it's not cold. What do you need a hat for? Now, this is... I hope I'm not losing you in this analogy. There are jobs that we have. There are seasons where it's in, seasons we're in. And in this room, in this congregation, in this church, there are people in different seasons. Amen. That's why we weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn, rejoice together. We're not all supposed to be, what did you say, robots? We're not supposed to be. And to this congregation, to our body, if your brother is in a summer season, don't assume he should be in a winter season. Now, let's say you are in a summer season. You know winter is coming. You should prepare for it. But you don't go around with a parka on when it's 90 degrees in July. That won't prepare you for winter. It'll put you in the hospital. And that is why so many people end up in such... Well, that's the state I was in earlier this year, on the verge of some kind of emotional or mental breakdown. Because I was trying to live in a season that wasn't my season to live in. Putting too much on myself, see... There are times like in winter when you sit around and read a book and you sleep a little extra because in summer there's more daylight and you work a little harder. It's okay. Okay, I won't continue that analogy. I hope it makes sense. I'm going to conclude and say to all of you, restate my question, do you really want to be free? And I want to remind you there's a cost for personal freedom. Now, if you've never been saved, that's a religious word. We throw around, maybe you don't know what it means. You may recognize there's something wrong with you. There's something not right. There's an uneasiness. There's an unsettledness. There's a sense that things are just never exactly how they need to be. That you you can't be who you want to be. And you recognize, because maybe you've heard a preaching or God has gotten your attention some other way, you begin to realize that there's a difference in you and God and that you need Him. That's what we call being lost. You realize your need for God and your inability to appropriate any of His blessings to yourself because you've tried over and over and you're still miserable. And when you get to that place, you have to repent, which is surrender. And I know if you're religious... That's going to confuse your religious brain. See, you do all you can do and then you give up. That's what repentance really is. You may go through all the sins you can identify and try to let go of, and God, I'm sorry for this and sorry for that, and break my pride and do all, and then you realize you still feel the same way. That's when you have to surrender. You give up to Jesus. Requires faith. What is faith? Here again, we religious people use a word like that. We think we know what we mean and we think we all understand what we each mean when we say it. But you know, unchurched people, don't, they don't know what that means. And in fact, church people have even worse understanding of it. The church people, as I said earlier, think faith is convincing yourself to believe something you really don't believe. And it comes from hundreds of years of teaching that all you have to do is believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. I don't know why they never used the rest of John chapter 3 where Jesus said you have to have a spiritual birth. You have to have a spiritual experience. And so I want to say to anyone hearing this, if you've believed and you've never really found this freedom I'm talking about, you might not really know God. You might know He's out there. You might understand religious constraints and teachings, and you might understand it's good to be good. But when you really know Jesus, you will know freedom. Now, you might put burdens back on yourself that take away your understanding of freedom, but you'll have freedom when He saves you. Peace. That's what it feels like, peace. Faith is really, in this context, not believing something you don't believe. It is surrendering, throwing yourself on the mercy of God, and resigning. Maybe in your mind you realize, whatever happens to me, it's up to you, Lord. 
I've heard people tell about when God saved them, they've actually got to the point where they verbally said, Lord, if you want me to go to hell, fine. Now, that's not a light thing to feel. That's something the Holy Spirit helped them feel. Because they had to release all forms of self-reliance. You cannot be saved as long as you're clinging to something, your concept of God's fairness or God's justice or that wouldn't be right, God can't. You've got to let go of all that. That's right. How do you let go of it? Well, God has to help you. Amen. I can't tell you how to do that. What I can tell you with certainty, and this is so simple that, again, religious people will not like it. You know deep down inside if you're not at peace with God. Deep down, you know. And when you come to Him with the conditions He requires and He gives you freedom and peace, you'll know. You'll know. Amen. That's it. Amen. And so I invite you here listening, whoever hears this, to, to seek the Lord. I'm going to pray uh, to close. And we'll do, have the rest of our service, whatever the Lord leads. But I, I want to say a prayer. If you want to stand, you can. Uh, yeah, do. Go ahead and stand if you're able. We'll continue our service after this. Or Jesus. I've tried to preach today a, a message that is, in my heart, it's a message of freedom, it's a message of deliverance, it's a message of comfort. But I know to some hearers it might be exactly like the ones that told Jesus they couldn't stand His truth and they didn't want to hear it. They sought to kill Him after that. So Lord, I ask You to go with these words of this message with Your Holy Spirit into the hearts of the hearers, not just today, but anyone who would listen to this at any day from henceforward, Lord God, that You would deal in their hearts, that even in this moment, if they're listening and praying, God, that they would realize that they can surrender their lives to You and You'll give them freedom and safety and peace that they've never felt before. Lord, I'm not talking about a repeating a prayer with a preacher. I'm talking about them yielding to You. And so, Lord, for, for everybody hearing this, I ask that You will give deliverance. I ask that You'll give freedom. I ask in the name of Jesus that You'll take away chains of bondage, that You'll take away and deliver us, God, from our own misconceptions, from our desire to be righteous, our desire to be humble, all these things that enslave us, that You'll give us complete freedom, that trust in You with childlike faith in Jesus' name. Amen.